Minor League Baseball postseason about a month away, and our, our second turn through for episode number 71 of the Show Before the Show podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Tyler Vaughn. Sam Dykstra is in New York. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. Um, what <laughs> do people so don't familiar. know? Yeah, we, we've introduced ourselves <laughs> to them already. They just couldn't hear. They didn't know that part. Yeah. They did not know that part. Um, yeah, it turns out. To pull back the curtain, sometimes when you rely upon a free third-party product to record your podcast, sometimes it doesn't work all that great. So uh, (laughs) yesterday we had that issue. But the one thing that we did not have an issue with yesterday is our really fun, really cool interview with Cincinnati Reds prospect TJ Friedel, who is the guest on this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com, the official site of Minor League Baseball. TJ Friedel's story is, what's the word? Insane. Um, A Nevada product who was draft eligible, but nobody knew it about TJ Friedel. Including TJ Friedel. Including TJ Friedel. Goes off, plays for the United States Collegiate National Team this summer, does fantastically well uh, for USA Baseball, and all of a sudden starts getting a whole lot of focus on who is this kid and why has nobody picked him up yet? Because he was, in fact, draft eligible as a third-year collegiate player who had redshirted. Major League Baseball draft rules stipulate you have to be either 21 or three academic years removed from high school, which TJ was. Since he had redshirted, he had only played two years, and hence some confusion as to his draft eligibility. He did not apply for the draft was not drafted then after the draft the cincinnati reds were like hey do you want to sign and play professional baseball and tj was like yeah and so now he's doing that and being really good uh so we're going to catch up with tj from rookie level billings billings mustangs in the pioneer league and uh where he has just jumped out to a blistering start through his first handful of games in professional baseball but a really cool story coming up really excited for that that was a ton of fun that was a great get by sam which by the way sam gets all of our interviews and does a phenomenal job so nice work as always oh thank you Sometimes it works out you know, better than others. Sometimes we, we can't get everybody we want, but I think we do a pretty good job here. I think you're right. Getting uh, the voices people want to hear on the podcast. You know. And if, anybody, if there's anybody you want to hear, yeah, feel free to reach know. out to both of us. Let us know. Um, one guy who we will not be getting, uh, we will talk about later. And that's Tim Tebow. Uh, let's dive in. Oh, no. Strike number one in this week's edition of Three Strikes. And by the way, you can head to iTunes, and you can now also head to the Stitcher app. If you are not an iTunes podcast user, we are now on Stitcher, where there is Minor League Baseball podcast. But you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription there and let us know what you think about the show. You can email us, podcast at milb.com. Sam and I will both get those, or you can tweet at us. Sam's on Twitter. He is at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B, and I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, so with that, let's get into it. Strike one. Big news out of the St. Louis Cardinals organization this week in which one day we found out that the Cardinals were calling up top prospect Alex Reyes, and the next day we found out they were calling up Number two prospect, Luke Weaver, both right-handed pitchers who got late starts to their season for different reasons, one than the other. But Alex Reyes and Luke Weaver, Cardinals, I mean, obviously very much in a postseason push, not in the division, but certainly in the wild card, and calling up two very exciting arms and their two top 100 prospects to help with that push as they get set for uh, a run toward the end of the 2016 big league regular season. Sam, your thoughts on these two headed to the show? Yeah, it was it was kind of a cool way that that all broke down. I mean, the Cardinals themselves announced that we're calling up Alex Reyes. Michael Walk is going on the DL. Um, so that leads people to think, including myself, you know, is Reyes going to replace Waka in the starting rotation? And as everybody's trying to get answers to that, uh, not much long after, uh, Luke Weaver is the guy who's announced as the Saturday starter. He's not been officially called up yet, um, but that's going to happen Saturday uh, against the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Um, so no better w- way, no better time. 
uh, no better place to make your major league debut than against your club's rivals in their home park in one of the most historic parks in major league baseball but we'll put weaver to the side for a second uh focusing on reyes um yeah, he's the more exciting prospect of the two. He's ranked number nine in MLB.com's ranking of top 100 overall prospects. Um, just has one of the best fastballs you can you know, see. He can certainly hit triple digits. He's done that in the past. He did that on Tuesday in his Major League debut coming out of the bullpen. Uh, that's the role they're going to use him out of. He also has a, a really good curveball um, through a couple of those, I think, in the in that debut. Um, if you get a chance to see them go back, and you know, there's... It was all over Twitter just getting to see him hit triple digits, throw that plus curveball in a short span of time. Um, this is a guy who struck out 93 batters in 65 and a third innings this year at AAA Memphis. Uh, had some control issues, only walked or walked 32 in 65 and a third innings, so that's almost one every two innings uh, with a 4.96 ERA. Uh, as Tyler alluded to, started the year you know, not with AAA Memphis, uh, was suspended last fall while he was in the Arizona Fall League uh, for a drug of abuse. He later came out himself, admitted that it was marijuana, apologized profusely, um, you know, did everything right from that point out, uh, but did have to serve his suspension to begin the year. So he's only got 65 and a third innings under his belt at AAA Memphis, um, has that electric stuff, has a chance to just strike everybody out. And that's what you work really well as a reliever uh his stuff will play up you know he will hit triple digits more often as a reliever can certainly let loose in that way um but this is not an edwin diaz scenario here as it was with the mariners you know the mariners call up edwin diaz as a reliever uh now he's their closer of the future because his stuff is so good in that in that role reyes still projects as a hopefully you know if you're a cardinals fan or if you're the cardinals themselves hopefully as a frontline starter uh he's still only 21 so he's going to take his bumps and bruises especially in that control department, you know, at AAA. But there's still plenty of time to build on that. He's getting his first taste of Major League action now. Um, you know, they could certainly use the arm for that playoff push, you know, that wild card race that you, you talked about. I don't think they're going to catch the Cubs in the NL Central. But um, having an, an arm like Reyes in that seventh, eighth, even ninth inning maybe uh, is going to be a big help to St. Louis. Uh, just to touch on on Luke Weaver, uh, he has his own cool story, you know, like I said, making that major league debut this Saturday, uh, but only made one start with AAA Memphis. Uh, Tyler, I know you got to write it up. Uh, what what was it like talking to him? It sounded like he was just getting prepared to be at Memphis for a little while and then finds out the next day he's going to be moving up to St. Louis. Yeah, that was kind of the crazy thing. I mean, we, uh, you know, obviously it was something that we were keeping an eye on was that he was going to be making that debut. And then it was like 12 hours later, the news came across from uh, Jen Langosh with MLB.com that he was going to be called up for his major league debut. But the thing I really liked about talking to Luke Weaver was he said, um, you know, one thing that really stuck out to him was he got to throw to Michael Ullman, who was the catcher for his double A debut. And that gave him really a pretty good sense of comfort of knowing what he wanted to do, how he wanted to approach a triple a new Orleans lineup that he hadn't really seen before. He hadn't seen many of those guys. Um, obviously the, the double a affiliates of the Marlins and the Cardinals are in different leagues. Um, and so that's one thing that people probably don't really get quite as much about uh, the promotions throughout levels of minor league baseball. Sometimes you get to a new level and all of a sudden you have no idea who you're facing, no idea what the approach is. But the thing that was cool about Luke Weaver was he said, everybody wanted to give him a hand. The new guys uh, that he was joining on his staff, everybody wanted to lend a piece of, you know, here's what you got to look for. This is what you got to watch out for, whatever. Um, And so that was really neat. 
getting him settled into his first start. Um, but yeah, in that story, he talks so much about this is what I want to do at this level. This is what I want to lean on. This is what I you know need to improve. Um, and then the next day, we get the news that he's headed up to to the big league level to make his debut there. It just shows you how quickly things can change for these guys. That's one when I was in the Carolina League as a radio broadcaster. That's one of the things that I remember, especially Rocket Wheeler, who was I believe now the the Double A Mississippi Braves manager, but back then was the Class A advanced manager in the Brave system. His constant message to his guys, whether it was a season opening meeting in the clubhouse, whether it was on the bus during kind of a rough stretch, whatever it was, his constant message was, "You do not realize how close you are." This stage of your career, you are so close to making it to the big leagues. And some of you are going to get there and some of you aren't. But no matter what the fact is of where you end up, you're so close right now. And Luke Weaver, I mean, that's very evident in guys like that where you get to AAA, think you're going to be there for a while, and then all of a sudden it's, all right, kid, we need you in wherever uh, at the major league level. And the thing that really stands out to me, and Sam, you kind of alluded to this, these two guys – got started late in their seasons for different reasons. Obviously, Alex Reyes with the the marijuana suspension. Luke Weaver fractured his wrist in spring training. And I don't think if you would have asked us when they got their seasons going, where we thought they would end up at the end of the year, Reyes obviously starts a level higher, so he's a little bit more uh, realistic that he was going to end up in St. Louis at some point. But I don't know if either of us would have said, yeah, these guys will see considerable time in the big leagues by the end of 2016, especially not Weaver. Right, yeah, no, Reyes... if you're going to ask me which of the two is going to make it, I mean, Reyes is the better prospect. That would have been easy to say. But at the same time, because of that stuff, it always seemed like he would be great for a relief role, you know, during September roster expansion. You know, we knew the Cardinals were going to be competing. Uh, you, you knew they were going to be a place where they could use all, you know, hands on deck, all arms on deck. Uh, and, you know, so to see Reyes make it, maybe not as surprising, but Weaver certainly. Uh, and, you know, it, it just, it's an ode to the way he's played this year. I mean, he, his ERA at, te- at the Texas League was 1.40 in 12 starts. Um, that's not a soft one either. He, he struck out 88 batters in 77 innings and only walked 10. So that's a 0.95 whip as well. It's, you know, th- this is a testament to the Cardinals organization in that they are rewarding guys who have the talent and have the results and are giving them their chance in the major leagues. Um, you know, Weaver's going to be certainly tested by a Cubs lineup this Saturday. Uh, you know, as, as good as he has been at every level he's played in the Cardinals system, uh, he's had some injuries that have held him up a little bit, but he's been good everywhere he's been, including that AAA Memphis start, six scoreless innings. Uh, going up a Cubs lineup, any major leaguer is going to struggle against that. So I, w- I, I would, you know, hesitate to say he's going to do really well there, or if he doesn't do really well there, then there's a problem. You know, the, We'll see what their plan is if you know he's going to get a couple more starts after that one. Um, but is it? It is exciting to see the, you know these guys who weren't playing in April and May. You know they're not necessarily um, being shoved to the side, being told to get their innings in the minors first. If they're ready to play, they're ready to play, and the Cardinals are giving them their chance. Strike two in this week's edition of Three Strikes spins off of that topic. Sam, with those two guys in mind, Alex Reyes and Luke Weaver, who is a prospect that still has yet to make his major league debut that you see possibly making a difference for a contending club as we get to the stretch run now? Yeah, so, um, yeah. When I really like this up, question, too. Again, a Sam no, question. Everything, All the brains behind the show are Sam things. So well, if you, you were, love something, you were, just email Sam and say he's awesome. You are certainly the voice of the podcast, so I, I don't. I don't <laughs> have because, that end at all. Because I'm annoying that way. Well, I don't know about that. But, um, but this, no, I love this question, though. <laughs> no, it, yeah, it get, gets you thinking about, 
you know, there are so many guys who have made their major league debuts this year. This isn't last year where guys got called up and just stayed up. You know, so many guys have been brought back down. Lucas Giolito is one of them. I mean, you just go down the list, Joey Gallo, all of them. Um, so who's a guy who's like Reyes, who's like Weaver, haven't got their major league chance yet, um, but could still be a significant contributor to a team that is trying to contend right now? Uh, the name I'm going to throw out there, and then I'm going to have to kind of peel it back a little bit, is Bradley Zimmer. Um, when we first recorded this yesterday, he was my choice. <laughs> it feel... was made far more sense yesterday when we were recording. Yeah, it, uh... it still makes a lot of sense. No, it still makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Indians, you know, leaders in the the AL Central right now. Um, this is the best shot that I feel like they've had in years to make a run in the American League. Um, one of their holes is outfield. I mean, Michael Brantley's been injured most of the year. Uh, there was talk about them going after an outfielder at the deadline. And if that didn't happen, well, they had two pretty good outfielders in their system, both the AAA in Bradley Zimmer and Clint Frazier. Okay, well, now Clint Frazier gets traded to the Yankees for Andrew Miller. So Bradley Zimmer is the top prospect in the system. Still a very good prospect. He's, he's number 31 overall. Uh, he's got a good combination of both power and speed. Stolen 36 bases this year between AA and AAA. Uh, hit 15 homers. Uh, has struggled a little bit against left-handed pitching. Um, that's kind of been a worry. But, you know, he, he's still hitting 261, um, 377, 461. So he's reaching base plenty, um, striking out a little bit more than you'd like. But with that power, with that speed, he can certainly play a capable center field. He can play in the corners. Uh, he's got the arm to do that as well. He would be a, a nice addition to the Indians if they decide, you know what, we're we're going to go for this. We need our best talent up there in the majors. The reason why I'm peeling that back a little bit is because I came up with this yesterday and I, I said all these nice things about Bradley Zimmer and then it came out last night that he was hit by a pitch while trying to bunt. So, you never know, bunt. Cautionary, yeah, cautionary tale. Hashtag never bunt. Never bunt. Um, he hurt his finger. It sounded like things were okay last night. He was getting additional tests today, today which is Thursday. Um, so by the time you might be listening to this, you know, he, the news could be more solid on him. Um, but it sounds like things are going to be okay if that's the case. I wouldn't be surprised if Zimmer's up by the end of the month, uh, making him playoff eligible and you know ready to help the Indians for the entire month of September. If he is out for a while, the name I'll, I'll throw out there too is Yohan Mankata. I, I don't think it's going to happen that he's going to help the Red Sox, but we've seen in years past you know the Red Sox leaning on pinch running help, uh, Dave Roberts being the obvious example, Quentin Berry a little less so. Um, you know, a different regime now with Dave Dombrowski, but Dombrowski showed that he was willing to call up Andrew Benintendi straight from double A. Uh, you know, Bunkata's in a similar situation. He was at high A Salem to start the year. Now get now at double A Portland doing extremely well. Certainly has the speed, not going to knock off Dustin Pedroia from second base, um, but would be an interesting addition to that lineup. Could certainly help them in the later innings as a pinch runner extraordinaire. Um, it's just up to them whether they want to use him that way or just let him continue to thrive at Double A Portland and then talk about a major league promotion for next year. Um, so those are the two names I'm going to throw out. Uh, what are you thinking about, Tyler? I like those two names. Those were two that I very much considered as well. Um, but my guy is going to be Jose De Leon, who is a right-handed pitching prospect in the Los Angeles Dodgers system. The Dodgers have had 11 different starting pitchers this season, and basically nobody has been healthy over the last month or so for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And somehow they've still managed to catch the San Francisco Giants in the standings, which makes zero sense. But obviously Clayton Kershaw has been hurt. Um, you know, Brett Anderson's been hurt. Brandon McCarthy's only made seven starts coming back from Tommy John. So it's been a revolving door of guys who have made starts for that team. 
Jose De Leon has been very successful with AAA Oklahoma City. 4-1 record, a 3.28 ERA in 12 starts there. Didn't get a season started until May 3rd and then actually missed a month after that and didn't come back until June 7th. But he's been healthy ever since. Really, really effective. The thing that I like about De Leon is that we we have to believe that he is real now. The Dodgers took him in the 24th round out of Southern University back in 2013, and he was an unknown and all of a sudden now looks like he could be a number two or number three starter for a major league franchise. And the Dodgers need bodies there so badly. They haven't gotten much length out of their starting pitching rotation. Um, Obviously, with a prize prospect like Julio Arias, he's made 10 of his 11 appearances as starts, but the Dodgers want to make sure that his workload is not overwhelming as they get toward the end of the season. De Leon's a little bit older, a little bit more polished. He's 24, been really effective at the AAA level. Um, he's been really effective at every minor league level throughout his career. 71 strikeouts against 19 walks and 57 and two-thirds this year. Opponents are hitting just 210 against him. It just seems like he is a fit right now for a team that needs effective arms in the rotation. He's some Somebody who is there as an internal option if the Dodgers want to go that route, because even though they have uh, not had anybody healthy over the last month, month and a half, they've played really good baseball somehow. So if you can throw somebody like that, give that that burst of energy, that jolt of electricity, um, you know, similar to what we saw. I don't think anything will be quite like what we saw when Arias was called up just because of who he is and the fact you had a teenager pitching on a major league mound. But um, De Leon is a, he is, you know, 1A right now in that system um, to Arias. So I think he's somebody that could factor into the mix um, just as, you know, a, uh, a potential arm for a, a postseason chase, which the Dodgers are very firmly in. No, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I really like that pick just because the Dodgers have, like you said, just thrown so many arms out there. Um, it's kind of surprising that De Leon hasn't been one to get the call yet. But um, just reading some stories, reading, you know, trying to read some tea leaves. Um, it sounds like Dave Roberts really likes Jose De Leon um, every time he's brought up. I mean, part of that is media hype, which I guess we're doing ourselves. But, you know, everybody wants to see that next prospect get up. And every time they, they ask him about Jose De Leon, he says nice things about him. Um, so, yeah, that seems like something that, that could happen. Um, I know the Dodgers have I, – I don't know if they've set the record or tied the record, but uh, they've been close in how many players have reached the disabled list this season. Yeah, yeah. I want to say that they have tied the record now, but right. very, very close. Right. Uh, and still sit one game behind the Giants in the NL West. So, you know, if, if you've got an arm, you know, I go back to what the Cardinals are doing with Reyes. If you've got an arm that's that looks ready, um, regardless of results, and De Leon certainly even has the results, um, give them their shot. You know, let, if you want to win this year, put your best pitchers up at the major league level. And it seems like De Leon is one of the best internal options the Dodgers have right now. All right, strike three, Sam. Here we go. Uh, it's a it's a topic foisted upon us by the 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 powers that be in the world of sports. Yeah. Um. One Timothy Richard Tebow, a former uh, running back who also attempted to throw in the National Football League, apparently wants to play Major League Baseball. Um. Doesn't doesn't really. Uh, I guess, care about anything that comes before that. But as it was announced through his agent, he wants to play Major League Baseball. And um, I don't know. Go. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't even know what question to ask here. No, I know. It's just <laughs> all I can say is like same. Like I, I would like to play Major League Baseball. I don't have an agent, but, it, you know, if somebody wants to put out a statement on my behalf. I would like to be a Powerball winner. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, we, we're saving that for the uh, yeah, podcast true. bump. We got to do that. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, just with Tebow, I mean, listen, he, he's a great guy who generates clicks. That's what he does nowadays. Um, he is living clickbait. He is living clickbait. Anything the guy does, it's he has such a you know heavy following from his days at University of Florida and then through the NFL. Um, but this is a guy who's 28 years old, hasn't played baseball since high school, which we can't emphasize enough that the man has not played baseball since high school at a competitive level. Uh, I know Gary Sheffield has been talking him up, him up this week um, on any media outlet that will have him on. And listen, I, I trust Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield had one of the sweetest swings I've ever seen uh, live. And Gary Sheffield likes Tim Tebow's swing. It also sounds like Gary Sheffield may have been hired to been, be Tim Tebow's coach. So, of course, he's going to talk up right. uh, Tebow. And then you, there was a video of Tim Tebow's swing tweeted out this week. And you can watch it. It's about 13 seconds long. Yeah. Um, and it's all upper body. There's not a lot of lower body going in there. And, and it's against 65-mile-an-hour meatballs in a cage. Right. You know. Where you, you don't even see the contact. You just see the swing. So I don't know where it's going. I mean, it sounds good, but right. it doesn't, you know, it's just from a mechanic standpoint, um, you know, you imagine what that's going to be like going up against 91 mile an hour fastballs, which aren't even, you know, the upper echelon of what we're seeing in the minors now. Uh, what happens when he faces a curveball? Uh, you know, the, the thing I want to throw out there um, outside of just, hey, this is crazy talk is just remember what happened to Shaq Thompson. Um you know, the Red Sox signed him. He's now uh, in the prime of his career. He, you know, he, he's now a linebacker with the Panthers. Um, Red Sox signed him out of high school. Just, you know, wanted to give him a shot. Took him in the 18th round. Really athletic kid. Uh, you know, as athletic maybe as Tebow. Uh, you have to be if you're going to be a middle linebacker or a linebacker like he is. And he struck out 37 times and 39 at bats. Yeah. In the Gulf Coast League. Yeah. In an entry-level rookie league. Which, again, I, I always say, like... The very listen, lowest I, level of pro ball. I would strike out 39 times. I right, same out, here. I would strike out 40 times in 39 at-bats. I don't know how I would do it, but I would somehow strike out, you know, take six strikes in an at-bat. Uh, you know, like, that's not to take away anything from Shaq Thompson trying, but it's really, really hard to hit against... Really hard. ...minor league pitching, and to say that you're just going to waltz in, I would like to play Major League Baseball now, please. Great. So would so many other people. <laughs> Um, so we, we had the bet and I'll, I'll go ahead and say it again. Uh, when we first recorded this, we each said we would eat our hats. Yeah. We would eat the hat of the affiliate that Tim Tebow plays for. Right. If he gets one at bat at a full season level or yeah. above. Right. Right. So that's out there now. And, uh, yeah. And we we'll just, stick to it. Yeah, we'll stick to it. No, for I don't sure. know how much of the hat. Uh, um, I, I don't know what the rules are for consuming hats, but I, I'm, I'm into that bet. Yeah. Um, on board. No, it's just like, you know, I'm sure an ind independent league team will give him a shot, and that's, you know, that's that's all good. That, yeah. That'll sell tickets. That's where it's going to end. The turnstile's going, but, uh, yeah, I can't imagine this is going to end in a, in a long and industrious major league career for one Tim Tebow. One of my favorite scenes in The Office is um, where Pam doesn't patch Michael's calls through to him on the first time because Michael always comes up with some terrible joke or some awful first line. So she waits for him to get that out of his system, and then she transfers the call through, and then he just says, this is Michael. And I feel like that's how this has gone because I'm not sure if I will be able to capture 
the same fury that I spouted yesterday um, <laughs> when discussing this topic. But no, I you know like I would uh, I I would be the first person to come out and just say this is a joke because it's Tim Tebow. But it's not even so much that it's Tim Tebow here. It's that people don't get how difficult this is. And this is the analogy that we drew yesterday. Back in the mid '90s, the greatest athlete on the planet tried this in his physical prime in which he was playing a sport at its highest level in his physical prime he quit tried to play baseball as a professional and really was pretty successful for a guy who had not played baseball since high school michael jordan made it to double a held his own and then was extraordinarily good in the arizona fall league which is something that people really forget but that was the greatest athlete on the planet who had also not played in 10 years and he made it to double a and left after a year um this is not Michael Jordan. And furthermore, I don't believe this to be a serious thing at all because uh, when I just, there's too much ancillary to this that there's, you know, then there's going to be a reality show that spins off of it or there's going to be, it's just some other marketing opportunity for a great marketing vehicle. Um, but it's, people don't get how difficult this is. And yes, if Tim Tebow had applied himself out of high school, I don't doubt that he could have been a high level minor league baseball player, but it's not going to happen. I read uh, some stuff that some scouts had said in a story about how likely this was that he could make this successful. And one of the points was you cannot miss out on 10 years of at bats and just expect that you can make it against pitching at the professional level at any level professionally. If he's going to make it, he's only going to be make it, making it as a pitcher. And as we know, he's only going to get the ball 56 feet to the plate anyway, before bouncing it four times, um, which is a joke that I had to get in there. Um, <laughs> so I just, uh, you know, it's, to me, it's a it's a PR thing. Um, he said that he'll be working out for all 30 major league teams. I could put out on Twitter that I will be working out for all 30 major league teams. Doesn't mean that they're all going to show up. It doesn't mean that anybody's yeah. interested. Um, so, yeah, you know, I don't doubt that the athleticism obviously is tremendous with him. Um, but this is not if he gets signed by an affiliated organization, I will be shocked and i don't believe that we will ever see him uh taken at bat at a full season level ever i don't think we'll ever see him taken at bat in affiliated ball period just because i don't think that um many major league organizations are all about taking time away from actual prospects that they want to develop um but i just i don't see i don't see there's any way that he's going to make it as a position player i don't think he's ever going to pitch an inning on a mound for a full season affiliate um just not going to happen. It's not yeah. going to happen. No, that's one thing that I want to push against. Not anything you said, but just a thing that's out there that, well, some team will sign them just for to sell tickets. You don't sell. No, you don't. You don't sign prospects to right. sell tickets. No, you know, minor league teams don't sign guys. It's the major league exactly. organization that does that. And that's and a very fundamental or- misunderstanding of how this whole thing operates. Right. So like the Miami Marlins are not going to sign Tim Tebow to sell tickets at Marlins Park. Right. Exactly. Or or in Jacksonville, for example, because yeah. they don't own that team. So how is it going to do the Marlins any good financially? Exactly. So, you know, I, I, this whole idea of, oh, well, somebody will do it just because they want the publicity. That's not how a lot of this works in the minor leagues. It's a lot more no. complicated than that. It does work that way in independent ball, which is why oh, I for sure. that's where he's going to end up. I think the Sugarland Skeeters, the team that gave Tracy McGrady his shot, and that was another thing. I saw a minor league player tweet on the day that this was announced. Uh, I saw a minor league player tweet, why didn't everybody 
get this fired up and this angry and hate on Tracy McGrady when he did it. The difference was Tracy McGrady's basketball career was over and he had always wanted to try baseball and he did it knowing that it wasn't going to be something where he was going to end up in the big leagues. He pitched a few games in indie ball and he hung it up getting to say he was a professional baseball player for a time, but it wasn't a stunt of I'm in my physical prime and I'm wasting my talent and need to go do something else. And also I think it's somewhat, I don't want to speak for everybody who's involved on this side of it, but I think it's somewhat insulting to the baseball community that a guy at 28 just thinks, well, I'll just pick up baseball. Yeah. Oh, that is not how this works. Yeah. You, Adam you see Jones a, had a great tweet about that. Right. No, yeah, Adam Jones said, um, you know, I'm, I'm deciding I'm just going to pick up football. You know, I've played plenty of turkey bowl games. I can do this. You know, <laughs> I'm fine. I haven't played since high school, but I'll be fine. I've done other things. Like, it's not that easy to do. And, you know, we follow a lot of minor leaguers through the minor league account, through our, our own account. And, yeah, a lot of these guys are realizing Tim Tebow is just going to come in and steal my spot. Yeah. yeah, these are guys who've been working, putting in their dues at the lower levels, and they're just going to sign. T- like organizations aren't going to do that. These are they're not going to throw away investments um, to sell a couple extra tickets. I, I just I don't right. see it happening. So it's not going to happen. So there's your Tim Tebow talk. If you do have a legitimate take about Tim Tebow, and this is not a take where it's just everywhere he goes, he wins, man. He's going to make it happen because Tim Tebow's a winner. First of all, the reason the Broncos made the playoffs is because after Tim Tebow took over, the defense started allowing like 14.8 points a game, not because Tim Tebow was good, neither here nor there. Second of all, that doesn't translate. It's not an actual fact that he just goes places and makes things work. Um, So you need to have an actual take of why tim tebow will be successful and it's not just look at what an athlete he is look at how he wins everywhere um because those are not valid takes those are opinions so if you have something that you see in that video of him taking bp or whatever it is and you think yeah i think this could actually work then send it our way until yeah, then reach out. yeah we'll, we'll gladly eat our words yeah. if, if you have yeah, something totally. to add to the debate you know we're not going to just shut it down no we'll listen to all sides but um yeah we, we welcome it and uh see what you guys have to say but please make it like legitimate yeah until then get out of our mentions um uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can tweet those at us sam's at sam dykes m-i-l-b i am at tyler mon and the podcast email address is podcast at m-i-l-b.com and uh that'll do it for our tebow discussion Whew. uh moving on we're really excited for the interview this week episode number 71 tj friedel of the cincinnati reds organization one of the weirdest and craziest stories of a guy's road to professional baseball that you will hear in this era of baseball tj friedel joins us from billings home of the rookie level mustangs coming up next It has not even been a week in the professional baseball career of one T.J. Friedel of the Billings Mustangs, the rookie-level pioneer of league affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds. But what a week it has been. T.J., welcome to the show. There is a lot to unpack in your story. So first, uh, what's going on? How's the Pioneer League treating you so far? Pretty good, obviously, by the numbers, it looks like. Yeah, it's been awesome so far. Uh, I was just happy to get here and get going right away. And uh, so far, so good. The team's awesome organization's awesome and I'm having fun this is one of the strangest stories and we'll try to lay it out uh kind of in the simplest terms possible but basically here it is tj is a pleasanton california native went to the university of nevada played for the Wolfpack for two three two seasons but was with the Wolfpack program for three seasons based on the rules of eligibility for the major league draft that made tj eligible for the draft unfortunately nobody seemed to realize that 
that. And so TJ signed as a non-drafted free agent with the uh, Cincinnati Reds organization back uh, just last week, actually. And uh, and you've made your debut. Let's just talk about this this last few months for you because uh, a terrific season, your sophomore campaign with Nevada, an outstanding breakout season with uh, the United States Collegiate National Team. You got to travel all over the world, go down to Cuba. You get the first ever series win in Cuba for the Collegiate National Team. And then all of a sudden – you're in professional baseball. What is? How do you even? How do you even encapsulate what these last few months have been like? Uh, it's been wild. I mean, everything from I bounced all around this summer. I was in St. Cloud. Then I got invited to USA. Had a blast with USA, and then um, kind of came back from from Cuba. And I was kind of like, wow, I'm I'm about to sign a professional contract. Um, it's been, it's been crazy though, but I've enjoyed every second of it. When you go to this uh, assignment with the U.S. national team, obviously that's got to be a, a highlight of, of any baseball career. But what comes out of that is all of a sudden people are looking at you as this is a guy who's going to make an impact at the professional level somehow. And from a couple of stories that we've read, someone reached out to you before the draft. A scout reached out to you before the draft and said, you're draft eligible, which you didn't know. The program didn't seem to know. And basically nobody else around major league baseball seemed to know when that started to hit you and sink in. What was, what was your reaction? I mean, everybody sort of assumed you had only played two seasons. So you weren't eligible yet, Mm -hmm. but you redshirted for another one. I mean, when you started realizing, Holy cow, this is actually a reality. What was that like? Yeah, it was uh, it was weird. You know, I was I knew I was draft eligible after I received that call. Um, but when I got invited to Team USA, I kind of just figured, hey, I'll go out to Team USA and uh, just just work hard and improve my draft stock for next year. You know, that was my goal is just to is just to up my draft stock for the 2017 draft, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. And then um, as the trials went on down in Los Angeles, teams started reaching out to me and started throwing out some offers, um, and I was kind of like, wow, this. This, this might be reality, you know, this might hit. And uh, and I talked to my parents about it a lot, and they just kept asking me, like, they just kept saying, do you think you're ready? Do you think you're ready? And, and we all thought I was ready. I knew I was ready, and we all thought I was ready. So kind of when everything started happening, I kind of settled down and, and, and had a moment to think to myself, like, just make sure I'm ready mentally and physically. And I knew I was, so I knew I was ready to go. And, and just going back to that, that first um, scout telling you that you were draft eligible, I mean, how did – what exactly did they say? Was it, you know, did he come up to you? Did he call you? And what, what was your reaction? You know, do you, you say, okay, now this could be a thing or did you just immediately just kind of brush them off and say, no, I'm focused on 2017 in terms of draft stuff. Yeah, that's basically what happened. Um, you know, he, he gave me a phone call uh, and he asked, he, he kind of just, you know, I didn't think I was draft eligible. So he, he kind of laid out the whole thing. He's like, yeah, you are. And he laid out the whole three years of academics um, and then, you know, I, I reached out to him. I said, Hey, thanks for everything. Thanks for the phone call. Um, but yeah, it was so close to the draft that I just, you know, I told him, Hey, I want to focus on my summer this year and then have a good year next year and, and be ready for the draft in 2017 is what I told him. And, um, that's pretty much how I went. And when you're talking about how you, you, when you talked to your parents and you, you were looking at yourself and you said you felt ready, I mean, was there something that had changed this summer? Was it the USA experience or would you have felt ready, you know, in the spring if you had just gotten that call a couple months earlier? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the USA experience definitely played a big role because uh, I could tell that I could compete with the best of the best in the country and in, you know, Japan, Taiwan, and Cuba. And, and that was definitely a big confidence booster for me. But even back into the spring, um, I felt I felt confident. I was I was I was feeling good, and I mean I would have been ready to go in the spring. I knew I'd be fine to go then. Um, but I think USA definitely played a big role and just helped me realize that I can compete with the best of the best. 
And what is it like just logistically when you decide? I mean, like so much of this for guys, they know the draft is coming. They they prepare. They hire, you know, um, not agents, but, you know, guys to help advisors. them out through that. Advisors. Thank you, Tyler. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just guys to help them out with that process. And for you, it has to happen in a, in a couple of weeks, you know, for this to, to go through. So what was that process like from the moment you decide, yes, I can do this now to officially signing with the Reds? Yeah, it was uh, pretty. It was pretty wild because you know everything happened in that two week span. Um, actually, it was like it was about one week because then I had to go overseas. But um, once once everything started kind of moving fast for me, um, I reached out to my coach at Nevada, Coach Bruce, and he actually set me up with uh, the company Sosnick, Karen and Cobb, and that's an agency out of the Bay Area, California, where I'm from. Um, so I sat down and I talked to Adam Karen uh, a couple times. And I felt confident with him, and um, I trusted him. And, and just just through phone calls, I knew he was the right guy for me. And um, once I got him on my side, it, it made things a lot easier for me, and it, it helped me kind of settle down and just focus on baseball, which was awesome. So at this stage in TJ's career, he's gone from a walk-on uh, at Nevada, played his freshman year, redshirted his sophomore year, played the following mm-hmm. season, which was this season. Uh, you jump out of an outstanding campaign this year collegiately in which you ranked 11 in the nation with a 401 batting average, second with nine triples, 17th in on-base percentage at 494, and 24th in the nation with 89 hits this season. Um, go to the national team, play very, very well there. Uh, in basically a month with the U.S. national team, you batted 290. And then all of a sudden, these last few weeks it seems like everything is just compressed so quickly because some teams come at you you agree to a deal with the reds sign a contract fly to billings you're in the lineup that night when you fly to <laughs> billings and you go out and hit two home runs and go three for three what is with you man <laughs> i don't know it was crazy um you know i was i came here and straight from the airport just took my luggage <laughs> into the clubhouse and uh kind of got introduced to the team and originally i wasn't in the lineup but uh towards game time coach asked me if I was ready to go I told him yeah and uh I just wanted to get playing again and you know first home run happened and I kind of was thought I was dreaming for a second and I was just like there's no way and then a second one happened and then I'm like yeah I'm definitely dreaming I was like this isn't reality right now but uh I mean it was it was a hell of a day and uh something I'll remember for the rest of my life. TJ, let me ask you this. When you got to Billings, what was the reaction of your teammates? Because so many of these guys have obviously been through the draft process. It's so stressful, um, you know, for the international guys. I mean, they sign at 16, 17, whatever it is. They climb up through, mm-hmm. um, you know, a very difficult route to get to even just to the Pioneer League and then on to full season ball. You got to – I don't want to, you know, say that you got to skip a lot of that stress, but your route is so different from these other guys. What has the reaction been to here's this new guy coming in. He's obviously going to help us, um, but you come in with – such a different storyline yeah um you know i don't I, I don't think many many of the guys here looked into that um because you know they i'm not being treated any differently here i'm just being treated as one of the guys and that's that's what it really what i wanted and uh all the guys are really opening really welcoming and uh you know they asked me what happened i basically the only reactions i got out of them is when they asked when i signed i told them two days ago <laughs> and uh, they're kind of like, yeah, they're kind of like, oh, when you sign, I'm like, oh, I signed a couple of days ago in Cincinnati. And then they're like, oh, wait, what? And then they're like, you just got out here? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, then I had to explain the whole Team USA thing. But, I mean, other than that, all the guys here have been really welcoming and really open and, and really friendly. And uh, what is the – um, transition been like for you just to pro ball? I know it's only been five games so far. You know, you barely had a chance for your feet to touch the ground, but, um, you know, playing in a professional atmosphere, playing in the Pioneer League, you know, one of the lower levels. But w- what has that transition been like? What is, 
some of the differences you've noticed going from USA to this or going from Nevada to this? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, there's really, um, I guess the only changes uh, in the pitching I've seen here obviously has been, been a little bit better, um, but but no, nothing's been overwhelming. Uh, you know, it's just the game I've been playing my whole life, and that's just what I keep telling myself is uh, it's the game I've been playing since I was four years old and, and not to overthink anything and just play the game. And there's one I wanted to touch on, too, just because we did get it to it before. We don't have many guys here on this podcast yet who have, who have played in Cuba. You you had that chance. What was that mm-hmm. experience like, um, you know, being one of the first groups to go down there since times have changed between U.S.-Cuba relations? And what was just the baseball experience like? What was the overall experience like? It was awesome uh, just to get to, just be able to go down there and play and uh, get, get to see that country and, and the country itself was beautiful. Everything there was nice and beautiful. Um, and it, it really put things into perspective for me and, and really made me realize everything that we have here in America. And uh, the cities there were beautiful. Some of them not so not so pretty. Um, but that really helped me put things into perspective and just, just made me grateful. Um, but everyone, all the fans in Cuba, the players, everyone in Cuba was very welcoming and opened us and very friendly. Uh, so I enjoyed it. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I had a great time being there. USA Baseball captured its first ever series victory in Cuba, and that was uh, highlighted in Game 4. TJ had a three-run double in the sixth inning. That was part of a four-run six that allowed the U.S. national team to uh, take a 4-1 victory in Game 4. That evened the series, and the Americans took Game 5 to get a series win there. Um, But this has been such a cool story. It's been so awesome for us to get a chance to talk to you, TJ. Uh, So far throughout his first five professional games, 11 for 20, which is pretty good. Um, Five doubles, two homers, five runs batted in. He's OPSing a paltry 1709 at this stage, so maybe a little work to do with the bat, I guess, early on is what we're saying. But, uh, TJ, this is so cool, man. Congratulations to you on all the success so far and such a, an amazing route to get to where you are already, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again down the road. Yeah, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been over a week and a whole bunch of destinations since we last talked to Benjamin Hill. We would have you believe since we actually talked to Ben yesterday and the interview didn't work. Hey, Ben, welcome to the Mountain Time Zone. Hey, guys, it's great to be here. (laughs) Um, Okay. In the Mountain Time Zone. Again, again, in the Mountain Time Zone. Ben is in Boise this morning, Boise, Idaho, the home of the Boise Hawks, who are the uh, rookie level, uh, Class A short season level affiliate of the Colorado Rockies in the Northwest League. And uh, it's the first of three Northwest League stops for Ben, who will also hit up Tri-City, the home of the Dust Devils, and uh, and then Spokane coming up uh, tonight, Thursday, and tomorrow, Friday. And uh, Ben has actually hit a bunch of destinations since the last time that we spoke with Ben, which was last week. Since then, Modesto, San Jose, Visalia, Las Vegas, and Reno, and a whole ton of driving. Um, It's been a lengthy week for you. It really has. I'm kind of in the home stretch now and uh, trying to enjoy it as much as I can, but definitely uh, feeling a little loopy at this point. And, um, yeah, I'm standing out here. in front of the hotel right now, I got a Hillsborough Hops team bus sitting in front of me, and uh, I've got to move on to Pasco, Washington pretty soon. Uh, did we figure out the three cities, Pasco, Kennewick, and something? Is it Rich- Richland? Richland! Or Richland. Richland. Yeah, there we, go. we got it. Okay, yeah. good. 
Um, yeah, well, we'll preview I'm driving those. The, driving to Pasco. We'll preview those. Uh, the the Dust Devils now a Padres affiliate uh, for the last couple of seasons, and you'll get to see them against the Spokane Indians, who are a Rangers affiliate, and then on the road at Spokane the next day, or taking on the Eugene Emeralds, um, who are a Cubs affiliate. But let's go. Let's backtrack a few days because uh, since last week, three stops in in California, two in Nevada, um, and a whole lot of different and very unique minor league environments. There's San Jose, very good minor league city, old school ballpark. Really committed fan following. Visalia, D-backs affiliate. Uh, Modesto, a Rockies affiliate. And then a couple of AAA clubs in Vegas and Reno. So you've seen kind of the whole gamut of uh, of minor league affiliations and minor league situations really throughout these last five. Yeah, I really have. From uh, Class A short season, Class A advanced, the AAA, from small towns to big cities. Uh, ain't that America and ain't that minor league baseball. That's why I go on these trips because it's uh, good to get that melon camp feeling, that, those, those melon vibes, that heartland feeling. Well, just to to go back to that San Jose trip, um, you know, one thing I wanted to focus on is the the churro guy. You wrote a story about this and how people just kind of flock to the park. There used to be a shirt that said, I'm here just for the churros. And then they changed it to say, I'm here for the churros. Um, what What is exactly bringing people to to see the Giants? Is it more than just the churros or is that the big draw? Well, uh, Municipal Stadium in San Jose was one of my favorite ballparks I've visited in, a, in quite a long time. It was built in 1944, uh, so it's a uh, very old stadium, but the team has done a great job via the signage and via usage of areas just outside the ballpark to create a carnival-esque midway-type environment with a ton of great food options, uh, a ton of personality in the ballpark, and uh, one of those ballparks that there's nothing cookie-cutter about it and um, just so much personality there and one I'd really recommend that people get to if they can. And, um, yeah, so there's a lot of personality there. And one of the personalities is uh, Paul Serda, the uh, churros man. And he's a uh, local churros vendor who has really made a name for himself at the San Jose Giants games. He's been selling churros for over 20 years. Uh, you know, his churros are widely considered to be the best. And you can go – I looked it up on Yelp. I mean, not often a minor league vendor has Yelp reviews, but you got super churros man on Yelp getting tons of great reviews. I interviewed Paul Serda, the, the, the uh, churros man. When I was in San Jose, talked to him about his story, wrote a story about him. And, yeah, he became so popular at San Jose Giants games that fans started making their own kind of bootleg T-shirt that said, I'm only here for the churros. And the team said, oh, man, this guy's so popular, fans are making their own gear for him, so we'll uh, make an official shirt. And uh, their shirt has a uh, anthropomorphic mustachioed churro wearing a sombrero with the San Jose Giants logo on it, uh, as you would expect, I'm, I'm sure. And I think it's the only churro-related official piece of merchandise in minor league baseball. Yeah, probably. Uh, I want to jump a, a couple of days ahead then in, in your trip to Vegas, your trip to Reno, um, two AAA you know, teams, as Tyler mentioned before, both playing in the same state. Um, but what, what were the differences in those experiences? I mean, Vegas, everybody knows, you know, is trying to be a burgeoning sports town. It's adding an NHL franchise. There's some talk about maybe adding an NBA team, some other stuff big like that. You know, this is their biggest team right now, the 51s, and then compare that to the Aces up in Reno. Um, what were those two experiences like? Yeah, well, Vegas, um, obviously, yeah, with the NHL and rumors of further major league type expansion, uh, it's a city in the news sports wise for those reasons, but that doesn't really affect the 51s right now. They're just a triple A team playing in a 30 something year old facility that's had some pretty major issues like structurally and infrastructure wise. And it's no secret. The team wants a new stadium. Uh, but until then they're at Cashman field. And, uh, I kind of enjoyed it cause it reminded me of the type of stadium I would go to as a kid, you know, in the mid eighties when Cashman field opened. Um, 
but uh, it's not really the best minor league ballpark environment. Uh, I just felt like the whole situation needed a freshening up and uh, a little more energy and personality and creativity. Um, not one of the best uh, environments I've seen, certainly, by in, in my travels, but, uh, you know, still a cool logo, and, you know, maybe we'll get that new ballpark and find a way to kind of change the energy around the franchise. I mean, in a lot of ways, Reno is a mini Vegas, but if you're looking at it from a minor league perspective, Reno is uh, by far a more uh, you know, vibrant franchise right now. And a lot of that does have to do with the new ballpark. A new ballpark brings new energy, and uh, the Reno Aces, it's now called Greater Nevada Field. Um, that was open in 2009. But you have a much more proactive front office staff there, a lot more uh, of the traditional you know, modern-day uh, minor league hallmarks. You know, they've got the, the nice video board and a lot of different goofy promotions, and very unique promotions in terms of their mascot, Archie, and in terms of uh, Ballsy, a giant baseball, or Mr. Ball, or whatever you want to call him, emerging from behind center field during the seventh inning stretch and, quote-unquote, singing, take me out to the ball game. Uh, lots of food, uh, really unique food options, and... Um, it's attached to, you know, the freight house district. So the stadium uh, ties into a larger bar and restaurant area that, uh, you know, is a downtown destination in and of, in and of itself. So uh, definitely different energies in Reno uh, than in Vegas right now from a minor league baseball perspective. And it's quite a contrast given the overall similarities between those two cities. Ben, tell us a little bit about um, just kind of the differences between, you know, these markets are less, uh, I don't want to say less trafficked because they obviously draw their share of fans the same way. But when most people, I would imagine, think about minor league baseball, they think about, you know, the Appy League, like we talked about a few weeks ago, or the Carolina League or the Eastern League or kind of the more traditional classic, quote unquote, uh, minor league markets. But these obviously have very dedicated fan followings. I mean, I know San Jose, you know, old school ballpark that they've really created into a gem um what what is the biggest difference i mean what stands out about seeing these teams in california in nevada versus what you saw let's say in the appy league a few weeks ago or in the you know the, your carolinas trip uh well it's you know kind of hard to compare even just within the context of this trip being in a triple a market in in nevada you know versus being in boise last night and being on my way to pasco tonight um you know kind of hard to draw a hard and fast conclusion just from this trip itself, let alone comparing it to the Appy League or then comparing it to, you know, Carolinas, which is super diverse in and of itself. And in North and South Carolina, you can see rookie level in Burlington. And then, uh, you know, within less than an hour, be in Durham and see one of the premier AAA parks. So I, I just think the the larger context here is that minor league baseball remains uh, very diverse in its environments um, uh, with teams, not just in very different parts of the country, but with teams even in close proximity to one another. Um, California minor league baseball on the whole, I'd say it's minor league baseball like anywhere. It's a lot hotter <laughs> in, in a lot of cases, at least uh, around seven o'clock when the game starts. Um, sometimes the overall energy here seems a little lower than maybe what you consider in a classic market, like uh, in the Eastern League or in the Carolinas. But on the whole, baseball is baseball, and it's great to see it, you know, more or less thriving here in most cases as it is in, in most in most places. And uh, one thing I just wanted to touch on real fast, um, you know, while we were talking about Reno before, uh, you got your first chance to have a player be a designated eater. Uh, describe what that experience was like and how that all kind of came together. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to recruit designated eaters at all my ballparks. Uh, the individual task with eating the uh, ballpark cuisine that my gluten-free diet prohibits. That's my, uh, in a nutshell, synopsis. And um, 
Yeah, so it's almost always fans, usually ones who I've recruited beforehand, sometimes that the team has helped recruit or whatnot. And Reno, my, my guy, uh, had to bail out day of. Um, a front office guy named, by the name of Max stepped in, and uh, he was a nice guy, although I try to generally not have team employees be designated eaters because of the obvious conflict of interest. But, uh, you know, when you're under the gun, you, you do what you got to do. So we're having a, you know, a good old time right before the game doing some designated eating. Um, at Reno's Greater Nevada Field. We're in a restaurant called Bugsy's, which has a lot of like uh, pretty cool high-end options. And uh, somebody put down a call to the clubhouse and said, uh, hey, any any players down there want to be a designated eater? I think uh, they tried to first get a hold of uh, manager Phil Nevin, but he had just crushed some barbecue. So they sent up uh, Jack Reinheimer, shortstop, who had also crushed some barbecue, but he was uh, cool to crush some more because – that's all minor league baseball players do with food, crush, kill, destroy. They're like stand-up comedians dealing with their sets. You know, I killed, I crushed, I destroyed. That's how they approach food. He was not all you crushed know? out, in other words. There's still room for Yeah, crushing. yeah, I mean, yeah, he crushed, but he could crush some more. You know, he is a player, and he crushes a lot. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, nicely done. That's nicely good. done. Um, in addition to his story up on the site right now about uh, San Jose and all things, uh, you know, churro related, uh, Ben also has a really cool look. Uh, the Sacramento River Cats are one of the the premier teams in all of the Pacific Coast League. I mean, a team with a very very strong fan following. Um, really good promotional schedule. The great rivalry, obviously, with Reno. But I, uh, their manager Jose Alguacil is a very prominent rising star in the giant system and ben's got a story up on the side about that as well which is really cool um and a guy who's you know i mean not a not an old manager by any stretch there are some guys in the pcl that you look at and they're kind of baseball lifers um but jose is one of those guys who it seems like he'll probably be on the lips of baseball fans for a while it certainly seems that way um you know he's uh 43 years old and um you know, spent eight years as a roving instructor for the Giants. And then there was, you know, just something about his personality and his general approach and philosophies that I think was really appealing to the organization. He's really an open-minded guy, uh, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve, um, really good communicator, uh, doesn't get too up or too down and any other cliches you can think of. So when I met him, I found him to be a really impressive guy because in AAA, you do meet a lot of lifers and, um, you know, a lot of them, I'm sure, are great people in in their lives as a whole, but uh, it's sometimes hard, hard to communicate uh, within AAA if you're if you're a member of the media. Um, there's just kind of everyone has their guard up. It's this weird kind of uh, purgatory for a lot of people where they're so close to the majors and yet so far away. So to to talk to a guy like Jose Aguasil, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. Everyone just calls him Aggie. Um, it was kind of a breath of fresh air in, in AAA for sure, and it seems like his players love him. Um, the Rivercats front office loves him because he, he makes a point to talk to the front office and, uh, you know, established relationships there. Um, you know, he showed me his, uh, his recent drawings of, you know, Batman and, and various other sketches he makes late at night while trying to process the day fan of good wine. Uh, you know, there was kind of a little bit of a, I don't want to say Joe Madden vibe to him, but kind of a, a little bit more of a Renaissance man kind That's of thing. Cool. Um, That's but really nice guy. Yeah. Really nice guy. Really honest, open and, uh, you know, being 43 years old, eight years as a Rover. And then, Hey, we want you to manage double A and then, Hey, we want you to manage in triple A. It seems like he's not the kind of guy who's just going to, you know, stay parked in triple A and become a minor league lifer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
So that is up on the site right now. Ben's also got more coming to the site, um, so we'll preview a little bit of it. Tri-City tonight, the Dust Devils, the affiliate of the Padres. Spokane Indians coming up tomorrow, a Rangers affiliate. Spokane is one of my favorite franchises in, in the minors because of what they've done with their relationship with the Spokane Indian tribe. I think that's one of the coolest storylines of minor league baseball and has been for a decade or so. And then also, Ben's got a cool story coming to the site about D-backs prospect Marty Harum and kind of a unique fan following Marty has, too. Yeah, he's got a, his own Twitter account called How's Marty Doing? And uh, you can go to How's Marty Doing to see how Marty has done. And uh, so I emailed, or I didn't email, I interviewed Marty, and the first question I asked him is, how's Marty doing? And we kind of talked about uh, briefly about his career thus far and uh, about this goofy Twitter account dedicated to him, which you know for a whole year he didn't know even who was doing it. And uh, you know, he's an easy guy to root for, as I call him in the story. Uh, an affable Wisconsinite, you know, just a real uh, good-natured, smiling Midwestern kid, undrafted free agent, went to a Division three school, and, uh, you know, doing really well, hitting above, I think, what was expected of him uh, among the Cal League leaders in batting. And he's got a long way to go, but uh, if you want to learn about how Marty is doing, check out my story and uh, follow how How's Marty Doing on Twitter. And there you go, Marty Harum. Marty Harum at How's Marty Doing. That account only follows four accounts, and one of them is our own at Ben's Biz. So you can be like How's Marty Doing and also follow Ben on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz there. And uh, what do you got coming up in Tri-City and Spokane? What's uh, what's the highlights? What are you looking forward to? Oh, I got a, I got a lot of things on the docket. Um, nothing, you know, 100% sure. So uh, I'm going to keep it close to the vest till it actually happens. I don't want to say, okay. oh, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and then you know, have it fall through and – you know, who knows? Maybe I'll get stranded on the side of the road on the way to Pasco and spend the rest of my life on the side of the road and never write about minor league baseball again. So, you know, one day at a time, that's, that's the minor league mantra. Pasco, Kennewick, Richland, the Tri-Cities in Washington State. Not to be confused with the Tri-City Valley Cats of the New York Penn League. Two teams of minor league no. baseball that both go by Tri-Cities. So don't don't mix them up. Uh, Benjamin Nils on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. There are uh, some short burst blog posts about all of these stops so far, and then Ben will have a lot more content when he gets back uh, to New York and puts together all of his uh, full stories and full looks back at all these parks and all these cities and all these teams and stuff uh, throughout this western swing. And uh, drive safe, man. Drive safe. There's a a whole lot of empty uh, rural roads out there, so be safe, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. I will be as safe as I can, and uh, as long as rental cars have CD players, I'll be a happy man. DJ Friedel of the Billings Mustangs, the Cincinnati Reds organization, and Benjamin Hill are guests this week. You can follow Ben on Twitter and follow the rest of his trip at Ben's Biz. And TJ Friedel, I just can't get over this story. This is the craziest, coolest story. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really neat just to find a, just to hear from a guy who was, you know, didn't think he could realize his dream this soon. You're preparing for 2017, and then, oh no, I can be a pro, pro ball player right now, um, and for a good amount of money too. I think he signed for over seven hundred thousand dollars. But it just goes to speak to, you know, I, I know a lot of people have been talking about this story and we've been talking about the story. And it's just like, how does this happen? I mean, you, you think there's the way the game works nowadays. Everything is so digitized. Everything right. is marked down. Uh, there is still so much human interaction going on in this. And so many guys going to Nevada games, um, going to USA Baseball, whatever. And seeing that he's marked down as a sophomore and yeah. just putting him in that column of like, okay, we'll look at him for 2017, um, do our due diligence now, but not think about, you know, talking to him about 2017. It only takes one person to say, hey, I did a little more digging. And then that's when 
you know, the dams burst open. So uh, just a really cool story all around. Glad we got to talk to him. Glad he's now on the podcast. And, uh, yeah, good luck to him the rest of the way. So cool. And congratulations to TJ on a really hot start to his professional career. Um, a couple of quick notes before we uh, before we get out of here um, and preview Mill TV for this week. Um, a headline that I just saw, Buck Showalter, not a big fan of, uh, of Tim Tebow's baseball plans, said, quote, I better leave that one alone. Am I intrigued? No, not at all. Amused? No, not at all. And this is really the money quote. I think about what these guys do in our Dominican Academy and Delmarva and Aberdeen and the Gulf Coast League and Frederick and Bowie and Norfolk. I take very seriously the stuff they have to do to get the opportunities and do what they're doing. Somebody will sell some tickets in the spring. I should be careful. We may sign him. I bet he was a good player in high school. I was too. And that's what it comes down to. These guys make their lives about getting to the Carolina League, the Eastern League, the International League, whatever it is. You can't just jump in and say, I was a good athlete 10 years ago playing this sport. I'll probably do it at the highest level. Not how it works in baseball. Yeah, it's, it sounds a lot like our uh, Facebook inbox. Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> I can I can, uh, I can, can throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. When do I try out? When for does MILV.com hold tryouts? Yeah, we get so many of those questions. Um, also, just um, we don't really talk about the big leagues, obviously, on the podcast, but um, the Prince Fielder thing yesterday could not have broken my heart more, and I hope Prince Fielder lives the happiest, healthiest, most fulfilling life from this day forward because that crushed me yesterday, seeing him sitting there in a neck brace saying, I can't play Major League Baseball anymore. But one of the coolest uh, Prince Fielder is really i mean he might not go down in this era as being one of the coolest guys because this is an era of very cool baseball players but i've always loved prince fielder and that was tough yesterday yeah no just the visual of it um as you mentioned and and the words i mean just saying the doctors have told me i'm not allowed to play yeah you'd like to hear so much we talk a lot when guys retire that you know they're going out on their own terms and what what that means to them and you know that doesn't happen all the time right sometimes it's it's guys coming up to you and saying we cannot allow you to do this anymore right. um you know he gets his money and that's good and good for him for that but um you know he'd much rather be with you know playing with a rangers team right now that's trying right. to contend and trying to help them down the stretch and, yeah, four was, seasons of minor league ball for Prince. He debuted at 18 years old for uh, rookie level Ogden in the Pioneer League back when they were a Brewers affiliate. Four seasons of minor league ball and 448 games. Prince slash 297, 328, 524 with 91 homers and 327 runs batted in. And uh, all the best to Prince Fielder going forward because really one of the greats of this era and not a not a fun thing to watch at all yesterday. Um, but we're, uh, we're getting set to wrap up this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. Before we get out of here, MILB.TV is your home for all the best of minor league baseball sam who are you watching this week yeah so i'll, I'll kind of keep this quick but uh byron buxton got optioned back to triple a rochester uh i think last week um you know had some severe struggles there at the top level um so but he has done really well with rochester whenever he has played with them all across the minors really uh you know he's still 22 years old still a really really good outfielder uh with a really good arm out there uh, in 31 games with Rochester this year, he's hit 328 with a 991 OPS, uh, six homers and five steals. So, you know, th- this is a chance for him to rebuild himself once again. I mean, I, I can't imagine that's fun, uh, getting optioned back to to AAA after he hit 193 with the Twins. Um, but this is a guy who used to be MLB.com's, you know, everybody's pretty much a top overall prospect just because the, he has so many tools that all have the potential to be really, really good. 
hasn't been realized yet. But, uh, you know, this is a chance for him to prove himself again. And he goes up against a pretty good team on the other side this weekend in Scranton Wilkesbury. Um, I'd, I'd suggest watching the Friday game because I think Aaron Judge is a possibility to get called up after Alex Rodriguez is released. Ah. On Friday. So Friday's your best chance to see Aaron Judge like before it. he gets the call. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I mean, I don't know if, if Tyler Austin also seems like an option for the, the rail riders to move up, but uh, you get a chance to see, you know, Aaron Judge and Clint Frazier in the same outfield. That's a pretty good outfield. Toss in Byron Buxton on top, and that should be a pretty good three-game set this weekend. I am going to uh, pick a cheap one, but somebody that we talked about earlier, Jose De Leon goes for the Oklahoma City Dodgers on Friday night uh, against Daniel McCutcheon and the El Paso Chihuahuas. That game is at 8.05 Eastern time, 7.05 local time in Oklahoma City. You can catch that on MILB.TV. De Leon this season, 12 starts, 4-1, and 3.28 ERA. And as the Dodgers contend for a National League West title, good factor into the mix there. So same sort of thing. Keep an eye on it because maybe it's going to be the last time you see him in an Oklahoma City uniform. We don't know that, but they need bodies in Los Angeles. And uh, and Jose De Leon has certainly been a very effective one at the AAA level. I think that does it. I think that does it. I think we're, we're, we're all set. It officially recorded well. Our second well. turn through the uh, yeah. the 71st edition of the show. If you're actually he- hearing this version, then <laughs> it's too late. It's been It's too late, but it's also the good one. So. <laughs> We are very happy you heard it. Anyway, We are less than a month away from minor league playoffs, which is insane. But yep. MILB playoffs starting uh, just after Labor Day all throughout the minor league. So we're in the crunch now. We're in the home stretch in the 2016 regular season. And, uh, yeah, we had a fun one this week. Big thanks to TJ Friedel and a big thanks to Benjamin Hill as well. We'll talk to Ben next week when he is back in civilization, back in the, uh, in the office at uh, Milb headquarters in New York. And uh, until next week. Get on down to your local park and cheer on your favorite team as they make a push toward the postseason. And we will talk to you then.